Well, it's good to be here this morning, and uh, God is good. We think of the prayers, we think of the things going on in this world, and you know, sometimes as Christians, we can dismiss a lot of the things that are going on in the world by saying, you know, our, our war is with spirits and principalities and not of flesh. But yet, we live in a world of flesh, and the things around us, we can't be ignorant of either. God gives us opportunities. He opens our eyes to see these things. And sometimes we can become overwhelmed with a lot of things. And I think James, as he's dealing with the new church, is talking about that. We're going to be coming out of James chapter 2, if you want to turn there. And one of the things that has um, just really been impressed on me is the importance of the Bible importance of reading your Bible. You know, we've gone through times in, in this country where certain religions have told their congregations they're not qualified to read the Bible, they shouldn't read the Bible, that it was just the clergy or the pastor. But we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we read the Word of God, we can learn from it. It's one of the ways that God talks to us, is through prayer, and through the reading of the scriptures, and through Christian fellowship with one another. They're all important in our lives. So I encourage you again to spend time in the Word. And as we face these things of life, I think James was dealing with this with the churches at that time. And again, James is a book of, um, was a book of controversy at the time, because he focuses a lot on works. But as he shows out, and as is supported in other parts of scripture, the works are not for our salvation, right? The scriptures say, by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone can boast. But the works are a result of our salvation. So I, a lot of times, liken it to a lump of dough, a bread dough. And you can make that bread dough lump, and then you put that yeast in it, and that, all of a sudden, that lump begins to rise. That yeast is activated inside that, that dough, and it begins to rise. There's nothing you even need to do. You just set it on the counter and watch it, and there it, there it goes. And really, James is talking about the Christian, and the whole gospel is talking about the Christian, that when we have the Holy Spirit in us, that Spirit is at work in us, and it is creating us to do these good works. And Jesus tells us that we have been created to do these good works. And so James is talking about that, but sometimes it can be overwhelming for a Christian. When we have a, a humbleness in our life and we say, you know what, we have been uh, in darkness, and, and I appreciate uh, the opening, Jesse, in the prayer for me, because we look at that, and when I think of where I used to be, in the darkness that I walked in, and the ways of life that, that I was all about, and to see what God could do, and then to say, you know, God wants something different from you, it can become overwhelming. How do, I, how do I change? How do I do all these things? But what we find is ourselves resting in God. And so it can be overwhelming. If you've ever done a restoration project, some are building houses now, some are um, doing restoration, different things, it can become overwhelming. I remember when we had our house up in Jump River, we did a, had a remodel job. And uh, we started tearing things out of it, and it, it sort of became overwhelming to us to think, are we ever going to get done? And I remember someone saying, you know what, you do one room at a time. And as you began to do that, 
slow process, pretty soon you found out that the house was pretty much done. Well, I look at God as doing that work in our lives as believers. We become overwhelmed thinking, you know, I'm so far from where I should be. I got so many problems and issues in my life. I got so many things that are distracting me and pulling me this way and that way. But understand that God is doing a work and he's taking you one room at a time. He's not going to require of you anything more than what he can do in your life because our change comes through Christ. And so as James has started this, and again we've talked about this was probably um, one of the first books written, if not the first book written in the New Testament. It was really written as a sermon to the churches that were out there. And so James discovers that these churches need some help. They need some direction. They're sort of floundering back and forth, maybe not knowing where to start, not knowing how to get where they need to be. Maybe it's just sort of blind to some things in their life. And so he talked about going through trials. Count it all joy when you go through trials, knowing that it produces patience in our life. And so I look at, as we're going through this and progressing through James, these are like building blocks. And so we need patience. We need to understand that sometimes change comes slow in our life. Sometimes it can come quick, but sometimes it's just this process of learning and of, of yielding to God. Then he talked about enduring temptations. You know, the temptations in life are going to come. And I want to encourage you when you're seeking to follow God and when you're reading his word and when you're in prayer and you're wanting to do what's right, Satan is going to be attacking you. Satan is going to want to be distracting you, pulling you in other directions. He wants to get your eyes off of him. And so we learn to endure these things, to stay faithful through them, even though we don't know sometimes how we're going to get through it, how we are going to survive it. He did talk about taming our tongue, the things that we say, and not just the words that we say, but how do we say them. He talked to us about being quick to listen and slow to speak. And so he's doing these building blocks. He's just saying, work on this. And, and then here's another part. Apply this. And now that you got that, do this. And so he talked last week about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. A lot of us have some biblical knowledge. We know what God's word says. We've heard it time and time again. But the question is, is are you a doer of it? And so today he's talking about uh, a different principle. And this is one of discrimination or partiality. And it's how we treat others, how we look at the world and the things around us. And so beginning in, in chapter 2, the first verse is, My brother, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord with partiality. So apparently the early church had this problem of favoritism. Now we can still see that in the world today. And he's going to go on to describe some of this. But he says, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory with partiality. And he goes on, and we're going to read a couple scriptures that shows us that God has us all on a level playing field. The glorious faith that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ needs to be shown to all equally and equitably. It should never be associated with discrimination. And we discriminate a lot in the world today. But in James' time, it was all over the place. And so, in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> even in the Old Testament, here's what was said. For the Lord your God is a God of gods. He is the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, no takes, no bribe. 
He administers justice to the fatherless and to the widows, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, last week we talked about what is pure and undefiled religion, and that was to take care of widows and orphans in their need. James is going to talk in a little while about just don't pat people on the back, say I'll be praying for you, but if there's something that we can do to help those that have a true need, we need to do that. Well, that's just an emphasis from Deuteronomy. In Acts 10 it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And again, these works of righteousness have to do with the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. You know, we're not saved through our parents' faith. We're not saved just because we go to church. We're not saved because we owe a Bible, own a Bible or do good works. We're saved because we have given our life to Christ. Because he has called us and we have responded in faith to that call in our life. And that is our, that is our salvation by faith and grace. We are saved, not of those works. And so with partiality, in the time of James, and we can relate a lot of this even to today, he was really in a very partial um, culture back then. And so as we look at this, there was a lot of prejudice. And you can read through this in the, in the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament. There was a lot of prejudice going on. There was a lot of hatred going on. There was a lot of divisions because of, of class or ethnic uh, backgrounds or nationalities, even religion. So he was battling all these things, and the new church was faced with these problems and all these things. Now, we look in the world today, we can see a lot of this today. We can see a lot of prejudice that's going on today. We see the racial divides that are going on, and I know sometimes the news gets it wrong and things, but a lot of the statistics are there that there's just a lot of unrest. There's a lot of division amongst people. People have always been a people that, whatever, there's us and there's them, and we've always viewed this. And it's a thing that, that Jesus came to break down. He came to take away that, that wall of partiality. So we see the prejudice. We see the hatred. I mean, we can just see the anger that stirs in people uh, towards one another. You know, I work at the prison, and, and a lot of them people are there for those very reasons. We have hate groups that are in that prison that are one against the other. And that's just a, a, a micro uh, picture of the things that are in the world. But we have those that divide still over race, over ethnics, over, you know, nationalities. And we even have in the Christian community those that divide over faith. Now we understand that we need to be clear about the doctrine of God. We don't teach a lot of doctrine in the churches anymore, but it's the word of God. If the word of God says it, we believe it and we obey it. That's the word of God that we need. But religions divide over different things too. And so we live in a fractured world, and so did James. And back in James's day, it was, it was just a shock to the world to see this new movement, this movement of Christianity that was coming and, and starting to reconcile these groups that were so different. Up to then, if you were sort of categorizing one of these things, you were sort of permanently stigmatized by that. Were you a Jew or were you a Gentile? The Jews and Gentiles didn't have much to do with one another. They were... They were in separate uh, camps all the time. Amen. We saw that there were slaves and free, and just the way that you would view that. So if I was a free man, it meant that I was one that 
uh, didn't owe anybody anything, but if you were a slave, you were looked down upon. You can look at the Greek or the barbarian. You can look at the rich or the poor. But I challenge you to look in the world today. Do we still do those same things? Because as a church, we are too a small picture of society. And are we doing those things in our life? Are we dividing? Are we showing discrimination or partiality in the things that we do and the way that we treat people? And we've got to be careful of that because the work of Jesus was to come and break down those walls that divided. That was the whole ministry of Jesus, this ministry of reconciliation of the lost to the Father. And do we believe that we have that? And Jesus said this, is that I want to create a new race that would be in him. And he said, what do you mean a new race that was in him? Well, we're going to share some scripture on this. But what he was saying is that when we look at people, when we are, are interacting with people, there's really only two camps. There's saved and there's lost. And that's the way we need to look at it. We don't care if somebody's black or white or Asian or Spanish. We don't care if they're tall or short. We don't care if they're rich or poor. All those classes, all those people, you and me, we all need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we need to look at each person in those ways. And are we doing that? Ephesians tells us this. Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Now I want you to listen to this, how he is bringing this together. This is Paul describing the work of Christ. And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death that enmity. This is where I'm talking about he makes one new race. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ if we have relationship with Jesus. We are not to discriminate. We are not to play favoritisms with others. We are to look at everyone with the eyes of Jesus. I remember when I first got saved and I, I'd read through the Gospels and many times Jesus would have these sayings, having ears they do not hear and having eyes they do not see and it was like, well, are all these people blind or deaf or what? No, they were walking the world, but they were seeing, but they were seeing in fleshly responses. They were seeing eye, the eyes of, of humanity and not the eyes of Christ. And so when we get saved, the trick, I think, or the, the, the thing that we need to yield to in the Holy Spirit in our life is to be able to see with the eyes that Jesus has, to look upon people with compassion, to look upon people with the need that Jesus did. You know, it said looking upon the crowds many times, he was moved to tears. He was moved to compassion. He would see the need and, and he would address it. He would have a, a poor beggarly woman touch his hem and, and he could feel it and he would stop and he would address that. I remember D.L. Moody, a, a story of him one time as he was going in to a Chicago uh, auditorium to, to preach before hundreds of people. There was a, a drunkard outside the back door where he was coming in, and he stopped to talk with him, and his entourage was sort of, oh, you got to get in there, Mr. Moody, the people are waiting. And his comment was, but there by the grace of God go I. And he stopped, and he prayed, and he witnessed to that man. He spent time with that man. The crowds could wait, because there was a soul that needed to hear the gospel message. 
How are we in our agendas? How are we in our partiality? It'd be easy to say this is just an old drunken drug addict or whatever we run into today. I got people in there that want to listen to me. I got people that need to hear what I have to say. But Dio Moody understood that there was a man right there that needed to hear what Jesus had to say. And so he stopped and he went to him. And so how does what God wants to do in our life, how does it work itself out in us? It's a little step at a time. We do it in his strength. And so the unity and openness of this, open, of this new church, this Christianity movement in the beginning of the New Testament was strange to the world because all of a sudden they began incorporating the Gentiles in because most of the first converts, of course, were Jewish. And they began to incorporate the Gentiles in. And they began to take in the slave as well as the free, the rich as well as the poor. But apparently in the, the first generation, they too were wrestling with some of this uh, discrimination or this partiality. But this is the command from James where he says that the apostles had to teach the early church. We always need to be willing to be taught from God's word. We always need to be able to be challenged from God's word to look at things a different way. You know, religion sometimes can get where it's just this is how it's always been and this is how it will always be. And we sort of put God in a box and we don't listen to him speaking to us. We don't look for the opportunities around us. We get very comfortable in our little groups and, and we feel out of place when we're with other groups. But God says that he has come to take that wall down. Sometimes we need to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to go to those places and witness to those people that we're maybe not that comfortable with, but that we need to go because they need to hear the message. I was at a friend's funeral in Wisconsin Rapids, and uh, um, I met his brother and his, his wife there, who I've also known a long time. And his wife, I think, is about 85 years old. And she's so excited because she is in the jail ministry to the women over in Wisconsin Rapids. And I got out in the car with Julie, and I said, can you imagine that 85-year-old lady going into the prison or into the jail? To, and she was excited about it. She was on, you know what the gospel can do to these people? Because we got drugs in our town. And we got, well, there's probably drugs in every town. But we got drug problems in our, and she was just so excited about going in. And I'm thinking, wouldn't that make you feel awkward? Well, I didn't ask her, but apparently not. She's in there doing it. But we get comfortable. We get complacent in our little groups, in our little because, you know, we know what to expect, we know what to hear. And when we get outside of that, sometimes we get stretched and it becomes a challenge. And so he gives us a, a, an example as the apostles are teaching the church. This is what we need to do. This is what it's all about. So the early churches, they did a lot of discipleship. Again, we don't do a whole lot of discipleship. We should be, but we're not doing it. And that's where we teach people. We teach people what it is that God wants of them. How we should respond to God's calling on our life. And, you know, a sermon's a good place to get some of that information, but it shouldn't be the only place. So when you're at home reading your Bible, you're going to be challenged by what God's Word tells you. As you're at home or in your Bible studies or small group settings or having fellowship with people, you're going to maybe get those ideas of how God wants to use you. We need to encourage people to do that and we need to show them sometimes when we're not doing those things. Because I've been challenged for weeks now, how am I discriminating against people? Am I showing partiality to other people? 
Well, James gives us a little bit of an example of this, starting in verse 2. And he says, for if there should come into your assembly a man that has gold rings, and I'm just going to paraphrase here, gold rings and, you know, fine clothing, a man, he looks good. And, and so you usher him right in and say, here, take the finest seat in our congregation. Sit up front here, sir. We'd love to have you. And then comes in a, a tattered old man and, and worn out clothes and, and maybe smells a little bit because he hasn't been able to clean himself. And Well, yeah, you can come, but we got a seat in the back there. Could you just please sit back there? That's the type of partiality that James is talking about. Sometimes in society we have this thing of catering to those that we think can benefit us. You know, we, we want those to come that we think can give. In all the meantime, we're missing those because we've excluded a group and we think, what do they have to offer? And so we want to keep these people here, but these people are expendable. And sometimes in our mind, we have that thought. And maybe we're not bold enough to say it. Maybe we even want to try to deny it. But many times in our actions, we show that. Do you treat everybody equally? Do you show everybody equitably? In the prison, I deal with a lot of people that have done a lot of horrendous things, and they're from a lot of different faith groups. But when they write up, I give each one the same amount of attention. I don't say, well, I know this guy, and he's, he's a Protestant, he's a Christian, so I'm going to give him a little extra help, and I'm going to avoid this group. No, we try our best to do equally to those people, and those people know what I'm about. And we can build relationships with those that are different than us just by being... Um, without showing partiality to them, without discriminating against them. So there's times where these guys, if they're pagans, if they're Native Americans, if they're Islam, and they're going through something, some struggle in their life, they've lost a child, they're getting a divorce, they're, you know, whatever life throws at them, they write up. And they know what I'm about, but they'll write and say, Chaplain Lingren, I would like to talk with you. For me, that's humbling. And for me, that's an opportunity. And I'll call them up. I try to meet with guys as they're leaving the institution just to say, can I pray for you? Some guys say no. You know, some guys don't come up. Some, but a lot of them say yeah. I've had guys where they've lost family members and I'll say, can I pray for you? And they'll say, well, you know, I'm not a Christian. I say, that's okay. My God hears my prayer and he'll intercede. And I'll pray for them. And they're okay with that. And they leave and say thank you. See, God gives us opportunities wherever we're at. But I'm challenged all the time of am I showing discrimination towards anybody? And so we have the rich and the poor, and James talked about this earlier. In our actions sometimes, in our minds sometimes, we treat people a little different because of where we think they are on the economic uh, scale. And we should not be doing those things either. But unfortunately, many times we do. He also, this is the only place where he's really talking about the Christians meeting in a synagogue, I believe. And so that shows that at this point, anyways, the Gentiles hadn't been fully incorporated into the Christian faith yet. But the Jewish people were working on it. And they were meeting in the, in the synagogues, which was fine. And what James is telling us, though, is when we're looking at people in these ways, when we're discriminating, when we're showing partiality or favoritism, he says, really, isn't that carnality in your life? Isn't that just your flesh coming out? And we have a lot in our society that tells us that. Well, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll do this for you, but you know what? You owe me now. And we think about that. And I want you to think about something as simple as this. If somebody 
you says, hey, let's go out to eat. And we go out to eat, and all of a sudden somebody picks up the tab. What is our first statement usually? Next time, I'll get it. We have trouble sometimes just receiving blessings like that, right? We don't want to be indebted to anybody for anything. And that's something that we shouldn't have in our life either. I mean, it's good to be able to go out and help people with those things. But many times, we just miss the blessings that God has for us in our life. And so there's a scripture, 1 Samuel 16, that says, For the Lord does not see as a man sees. So in, in the New Testament, it says, They're having eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. 1 Samuel says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. James is telling us we need to try to get a glimpse of, of people's hearts. And James is telling us, when he's telling us, be quick to listen and slow to speak, that that's a way we can get a glimpse into the heart. Now, only God knows the heart. It's only God that can really look in and, and really tell definitively things of the heart. But James also said, out of the mouth, or James didn't say this, is a different part of the Bible, it says, out of the mouth proceed the issues of the heart, right? So as you're listening to people, you can see what's important to them. You can see where the hurts are. You can see where maybe they need encouragement or, or edification. You can see their relationship with God many times by their actions and the things that they're doing. And so as we have the eyes of Christ, as we look at people, can you look at people with the eyes of Christ? I don't think Christ was hanging on the cross saying, well, well, here's some of the well-to-do you know, people, Israelites, and here's some of the poor ones. He looked down on them and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He knew that they needed to hear a message. He knew that, that money wasn't going to get it for him, but poverty wasn't either. And I don't think James is saying, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, be angry with those that have stuff, or with the rich. He's not saying that. But he says, don't treat the rich, you know, all proper, and treat the poor differently. As Jesus hung upon the cross, he sees a need. He saw the lost. When we look at people, we need to look at them with those eyes. Do they need a savior? So many people are in bondage today. They're in bondage to works. They're in bondage to this. They're in bondage to that. Jesus says, I have come to set you free. That you may do the work that I have called you to do. He says, I have created you for good works. And James is saying, little by little, as we chip away at this, it's going to happen. God looks at the heart and so does he. So should we. Verse 5 goes on to tell us this. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? See, we can see a lot of abuse that takes place in the world today, just as James probably was back then. The rich back then had a voice, the poor did not. But we can see that in the world today. We can see those that don't have, maybe they need a public defender. If something's going on with them, they can't do this. Where we can see others, they can lawyer up to the hilt and, and get off with things. See, but as Christians, we treat things differently. We look at the facts. We may have in a church a, a well-to-do person that has maybe committed some uh, thing that needs to be dealt with in the church, but we don't want to offend him because he might leave, and if he leaves, how are we going to make it? But we could have a poor person do the same thing, and we would address that because if they left, it's not going to make much difference. See, our views can be that way sometimes. How do we treat others that are around us? The rich man, Meyer tells us this, the rich man may trust him, 
but the poor man must. See, we're all pretty well to do here. We judge by each other, but really today as we sit here, we're all, we're all pretty good off. We have food to eat, houses, roofs over our head, different things that are going on, though there's different degrees of things. But it's easy for us to trust in our material possessions. I don't need to trust in God for my food, do I? I can just go write a check or get a debit card and go get this and that whenever I want it. When we did missions down in Mexico with uh, Arnie and Jeannie, I mean, we met families that if the father was sick and didn't go work that day, there was no money that came in. There was no maybe food for his family for that day. They had to trust God, and it was exciting to see the churches in the evening that would be filled with people coming and praising God, and these were people that didn't have much of anything. And even as they came, they gave to the church that they might be a blessing to those less fortunate than them. Sometimes I'd meet these people and think, who can be less fortunate? I mean, you're living on a day-to-day basis. So sometimes the rich man, you know, again, may trust him, but the poor man must. James sort of understood that. We need to conform our minds to thinking like the poor man. We need to trust God in all these things. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything that we have is a blessing, I think, from God. Everything that that we try to do in our life, we just say, you know what, God's blessed us and it's there for somebody else. And I know a lot of you are that same way. That's great. We want to be those people of God. When we choose people by what we can see on the surface, we're just being carnal. We're just being carnal. And that we miss really the mind of God in this. Meyer goes on to say this, There is nothing that men dread more than poverty. They will break every commandment in the dialogue, in the Decalogue, which is Ten Commandments, rather than be poor. But it is God's chosen lot. He had one opportunity of living this life. So it's talking about Christ here now. He says he had one opportunity of, of only of living our life, and he chose to be born of parents too poor to present more than two doves at the presentation of the temple. When Jesus was born, his folks could only give two doves for the presentation. He came as, a, as an ordinary Joe. And he came making everybody level on the playing field. I think that's a wonderful thing. That God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see all the things that we've amounted in our life. But he sees as our heart. And he sees our need for him. And when he sees our need for him and he's acted and became our Savior, then he says, I, I have a job for you to do. And he wants to be active in our family. And so as fathers and, and mothers, we need to be praying together husbands and wives, with our children. We need to be praying that we do not have that partiality, that when we see somebody in need, that we can reach out to them. Partiality, it says, is condemned by the scriptures. As we go on, 8 and 9, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, if you show favoritism, if you show discrimination, it says you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. So he brings this out again, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He also talked about true religion, right? Is loving those that are, have need in our community. Are you acting out those things in our life? Jesus put a great emphasis on those things, to, to bottle those together, to love your Lord your God, that's the most important, with, with all your being, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love your rich neighbor. He didn't say love your poor neighbor, love your white neighbor, love your black neighbor. 
He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we need to be blinded to the things that are around us. James reminding us that the underprivileged man is just as much as the neighbor as the, the privileged man that's around us. That whoever it is that we come in contact with, there's a reason. Matthew 5 says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew's warning us about cliques. You know, it's easy to come together as a church family. We have fun together. There was a game night going on last night. A lot of laughing, a lot of fun. We come together as a church in the morning. A lot of laughter, a lot of fun, a lot of talking, shaking hands. We're glad to be here. We can get in our little cliques. We can get in our little divisions. But God says he wants to send us out into the world. This is a great place of refuge. This is a great place to learn. It's a great place to come together. It's a wonderful place to pray for one another. It's a, a wonderful place to edify each other to go out into the world. Because when we go out, that's our missions field. You know, we talk about World War III possibly coming. There's a, a war that's going to be coming pretty soon. And Christ is the victor. We are in a battle. We're not just in the battle in this world. We are in a spiritual battle. And our duty should really be to bring as many to Christ as we can. To share that gospel message to as many people as we can that they might hear it. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. But the power of the word can. And so we share that with whoever would hear. Whosoever, it said, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So think about this this week. Are you showing favoritism anywhere in your Christian walk? This is just something that as we go home or as we leave today, we just think about, you know, am I doing this anywhere in my life? Am I showing favoritism or being discrimination against anybody? Maybe it's the haves and the haves nots. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we like to name drop about important people we know. Maybe it's the righteous and the lost, you know. Are we discriminating against the lost? and showing favoritism to the righteous. Now, there are certain things we do with the church family, and we'll talk about that later. But what are you doing to break down these walls that divide? You know, there is a division, again, between the lost and the saved. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're blessed. And you're in the camp of the saved, you're in the camp of the redeemed, and it should just be like you're in a lifeboat trying to save those that are, are perishing in the sea. You want to get that, that uh, lifesaver out to them. And have them hold on to him and come to him. Are you doing that? What can God change in your life starting today? Starting today. Let's pray.